Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. And welcome to the Tesla Q3 2020 Financial Results and Q&A webcast. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodhi, and I am your host. And guess what I found? I found my music. I'm not a singer, as you can tell. I'm not a very good singer. Not even a really good podcast host. So here we are. Uh, I guess what we're going to talk about today. We are going to go over Tesla's Q3 2020 earnings and their earnings call. Actually, we're not going to go over their earnings. We're just going to go over the earnings call. But before we do that... I just need one minute of your time. I'm going to do a really quick announcement. We are coming up on the end of the month. If you are in the $5 club or the $5 tier for the Patreon, just a reminder, all levels are going to a dollar, but I can't change your, your pledge level. So I need you to go to patreon.com forward slash kilowatt and change your pledge from $5 or $10 or whatever it is. Uh, down to a dollar and please do that because I don't want you to get charged because you will get charged in November and you will get charged the full amount of the five or ten dollars. So, um, yeah, just go to patreon.com forward slash kilowatt, drop it down to a dollar. All right, before we jump into the earnings call, I just wanted to say one more thing real quick. I want to say thank you to all the people who wrote in, who communicated with me. And who had nice things to say about Jessica's appearance on the show last week. I had a lot of fun. Um, I think she's a, a wonderful person. She was very entertaining. There was lots of laughs. There was lots of interruptions. I'm not going to lie. Uh, we kind of stepped on each other. But uh, I, I would like to have her on again. But until then, you can go to youtube.com forward slash Jessica Kirsch. K-I-R-S-H, and you can follow her. And when you comment on her videos, let her know that you came from the Kilowatt community and, you know, just tell her how much you like her. All right, now let's jump right into the earnings call. 
I don't usually talk about the finances on this show simply because we cover the technical side. We don't really cover the the financial side, but I will say that Tesla made a profit. And it was right around the $300 million range, non-GAAP profit, which, eh, again, I'm not a finance guy, so I don't know what any of that stuff means. But it sounds like it's good for Tesla. Now, what's becoming a tradition on this show is we are going to hear Elon's opening remarks. All right, so Q3 was our best quarter in history. We achieved the record production and deliveries, record revenue, record net income, uh, both GAAP and non-GAAP, and record free cash, cash flow of $1.4 billion. Uh, this is really due to the amazing execution by the Tesla team. I uh, could not be more proud to work with such a great group of people. Um, just really kick-ass performance across, throughout the world. Um, of course, we had a battery day, uh, so we hosted, sh- showed our plans for how we can expand the future and improve core battery technology, core cell technology at the form factor level, chemistry level, um, and um, I think most significantly at the manufacturing uh, technology level. Um, there's only a comment I've made in the past is that I think Tesla's long-term competitive strength will be primarily manufacturing. Uh, this is counterintuitive, but I, I'm quite confident this will be uh, what, what happens. Uh, anyway, so we presented what the team's been working on for a long time, well, batteries. Um, we, we wanted to step back and really rethink batteries from scratch. Uh, first principle thinking, just look at the, the fundamental physics and say what, uh, rather than compare to uh, other products in the market, just say from a physics standpoint, if you, you know, what, what's, the, what's the limit of physics? What's the platonic ideal of a perfect cell? And how close can we get there? Um, and uh, that, that was our aspiration. And I think we've, we've, we've got a pretty good uh, approach to it, um, which will only get better over time. And so we went through all of the engineering solutions for every important part of battery design and production. Um, and we'll continue to iterate on that and just recursively improve the core uh, cell and battery technology. The, the result, we, we think, in, you know, in a few years will be batteries that cost half as much and where the capital expenditures required are a third or, or less of what they are today. And uh, we expect uh, Giga Berlin will see our first uh, battery cell production line at scale. Uh, regarding the full self-driving beta release, uh, the autopilot team, uh, again, just a really all-star team. Um, I spent a lot of time with the with the autopilot team, and there's just a, a lot of really talented people on that team who've worked incredibly hard to make the to get get the the beta release out. Uh, so I just really like to, to thank them for their their hard work, um, and uh, it's just a, it's just a very smart group of people. So. Um, I think we're starting very slow and just very cautiously um, because the world is a complex and messy place. And so we we're um, you know we put it out there last night, and then we'll see how it goes, and then uh, probably release it to more people uh, this weekend or early next week, um, and then just gradually step it up um, until we have uh, hopefully a wide release by the end of this year. Um, and, of course, as the system collects more data and it becomes more robust. Um, so um, it, it's sort of like, you know, how does Google as a search engine get better? It's because everyone is programming it by asking it questions all the time and clicking on particular links. So it's got this great feedback loop, um, and that, that makes it a, an extremely effective uh, search engine. Um, it's the same thing for autonomy. Um, having on the order of a million cars 
uh, that are providing feedback and, and specifically feedback on, on strange corner case situations that you just can't even come up with in simulation. Uh, this is the thing that is really valuable. It's not like the, 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 the obvious stuff. The obvious stuff you can do in simulation. Um, but weird corner cases, uh, only reality can, can give you that. So uh, that's, but, but we're able to say, okay, we need to train the system on this corner case situation uh, and, and look for examples so we can, we can then uh, train against those examples and improve uh, some very esoteric corner case. Um, and um, also important to emphasize that this is a generalized uh, neural net-based approach. Uh, there is no need for high-definition maps or a cell phone connection. So the, the car, the, the system is designed such that even if you have no connectivity whatsoever and you're in a place that you have never been to before and no Tesla has ever been there, the car should still be able to drive, just like a person. Uh, that is the system that we are developing and uh, aiming to release uh, this year. Um, then in terms of capacity build-out, uh, we're making progress on um, three major factories. Uh, we're continuing to expand Shanghai significantly, uh, which is going incredibly well. The Tesla China team um, is just, I mean, incredibly good. Uh, we're super smart, work hard. It's like I'm always amazed by how much progress the Tesla China team makes. Uh, it's uh, beyond all reasonable expectations. Um, and then we're under construction in uh, Berlin and, Tech and, and, and Austin. Um, so also making good progress there. Um, yeah, it's great. So it's overall going well. Um, I, I should make a point that for Berlin and Austin, um, we, we, we do expect to start delivering cars from those factories next year. But because of the exponential nature of, of, a, of the spool up of a manufacturing plant, especially one with new technology, um, it, it, it will start off very slow at first, and then, then, and then um, become very. The, the output will become very large. It's just in, in general, manufacturing follows the S curve, and uh, you know. And I think sometimes people, if they haven't spent a lot of time in manufacturing, kind of think that once you have a factory, you can just sort of turn it on and it's at capacity. But it, it will typically take about twelve to eighteen months to reach capacity. Um, and that is a very fast period of time, uh, especially for new technology. Uh, so, yeah, I'd say 12 to 24 months even. Um, so generally what I see is um, the manufacturing capacity is uh, underestimated in the beginning um, for quite some time. Uh, then it's sometimes overestimated uh, because this is an S-curve. Um, it goes exponential to linear, to logarithmic. Um, and um, it, it's, it's actually an incredibly hard thing just bringing a, a production plant uh, to volume technology. Because it, 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 you can actually think of it like you've got to first order approximation 10,000 unique uh, parts or processes, all of which operate on an S-curve um, and, and, and it, with, with a bunch of uncertainty. And you can just slide 10,000 S-curves on an X-axis and that's what bringing up a large automotive plant is like. And which one is which one's the the, the laggard? Which one's the leader? It's very difficult to tell, and it's constantly changing. Um, so, 
it, it's really one of the most difficult challenges I've ever seen. Um, so let's see. Um, in, in conclusion, uh, thank you. Uh, all we've achieved would not be possible without the incredible hard work of tens of thousands of Tesla employees um, and all the people at our suppliers as well. I'd like to thank our suppliers. Um, we continue to grow as fast as we can while focusing on cost control and, and improving quality. Um, and ultimately, the, the, the best company will be that which makes great products at an affordable price. And that is, uh, that is our goal. Uh, I think I've never felt more optimistic about the future of Tesla than I, than I do today. Um, I'd also like to thank investors who have stuck with us, with us through Thick and Thin. Um, this is, uh, I think there's, there's a lot more good stuff to come. All right. Really more of an update probably for the people who don't follow this stuff like we do, simply because a lot of this is kind of rehashing old stuff here. But one of the things I didn't know is this this particular quarter that just ended was Tesla's best quarter in history, which is amazing. Elon did mention some more information on just battery manufacturing, which we've gone through like it, to this point, it's excessive. How much we talked about the battery manufacturing. Um, he mentioned full self-driving beta and they're rolling it out slowly right now. Everybody on Twitter who has a Tesla <laughs> is going crazy and is begging for this full self-driving beta they said that they're rolling it out slowly and it'll be wide release later this year. I don't know if that means that the version that they're currently work on, working on, which is currently a beta, will be like a gold master and released later this year. Or if the beta will just be rolled out to more people later in the year. Don't Didn't have uh, a great sense of what he meant by that. And then manufacturing is Tesla's strength. And that's really how they're going to build their business. Um, and grow their business, which I completely 100% agree with. One of the things that he did mention, which I think was more of a, hey, we're going to set expectations, is Berlin and Austin, that, those gigafactories, will have a slow ramp in 2021. So it's not going to, they're not going to produce very many cars next year. And then they'll be at capacity in 12 to 24 months. So I think that was Elon really just setting expectations. In our next clip, we're going to hear from Zachary Kirkhorn, who's the CFO. So let's listen to Zach. Uh, overall, our financial health continues to rapidly improve, with Q3 being another great quarter on nearly all dimensions, as Elon has mentioned. On net, on, on net income, we achieved our fifth sequential quarter of profitability, our best net income, and nearly double-digit operating margins. Two things that are important to note to set context for Q3 profitability. First, the regulatory credits business was stronger than our expectations, and we are tracking to more than double this year compared to last. Second, as a result in the rise of the market cap of the company, the second and third tranche of the CEO grant vested during the quarter. Additionally, we have begun expensing one more tranche, resulting in roughly $300 million of combined period expense. I think it's reasonable to view the quarter excluding both these items to get a true sense of the health of the core business. On automotive gross margin, excluding regulatory credits, it increased materially from 18.7% to 23.7%, with some of our programs achieving greater than 25% gross margin. Keep in mind that inefficiencies related to factory shutdowns affected our margins in Q2. We continue to reduce our manufacturing and operational costs. 
We are also seeing benefits from the ongoing upward trend of locally built and delivered cars, which has increased from under 50% at the beginning of last year to over 70% most recently, which is a core component of our cost reduction strategy. We are also seeing financial benefits from improved vehicle reliability across the fleet. Services and other margin approved yet again, driven by our used vehicle business and efficiencies in our service operations. In the energy business, we achieved record storage deployments aided by the positive reception of the Megapack and Powerwall products as production and deployments grow. Additionally, our solar deployments doubled and we're continuing to make progress on that front. On cash flows, our cash balance increased to $14.5 billion, which includes free cash flows of $1.4 billion, our highest yet. Our operating cash flows were $2.4 billion, uh, including a $600 million benefit from working capital as we've made progress on days of receivables and inventory despite a reduction in days of payables. Note that the majority of our operating cash flows are driven by the strengthening of our core operations. Capital expenses grew to $1 billion, driven by Model Y investments in Shanghai, Berlin, and Austin. As for previous investments in Model 3 Shanghai and Model Y in Fremont, we're expecting these programs to have already fully paid for their respective investments by the end of this year. Looking forward to 2021 and 2022, we have revised up our expectations for capital spending by 2 to $2.5 billion, which we have ample liquidity and expected cash flows to fund. This is driven by an increase in in-source scope for certain factories, including battery cell manufacturing, as well as investments to enable greater capacity expansion in the future. While we expect the return on our investments to remain very strong, keep in mind that with additional scope and location-specific costs, the payback of these investments may be slightly longer than what we saw in Model 3 in Shanghai and Model Y in Fremont. Financing cash flows were $4.5 billion as we reduced use of our working capital lines offset by a $5 billion equity raise in September. Note that we're currently expecting over a billion in early convert paydowns in Q4, primarily associated with the 2021 conversions, but also our 2022 and 2024s. Looking forward, we remain focused on strengthening the core fundamentals of the business. Uh, we are increasing production to meet demand, reducing costs, including localization, driving higher efficiency across the business, and tightening our cash conversion cycle. We've made tremendous progress on this front over the last year and a half. We're also aiming to achieve our original 2020 guidance of 500,000 deliveries, despite the operational interruptions earlier in the year. While this goal remains a genuine challenge, we believe it's possible with tight execution across the company. So congratulations again to the Tesla team for a great quarter and a great year. All right. I left that in, obviously, like I always do for the investors that listen to this show. Um, and I know there are many of you because every time I say I don't care about Tesla's stock, I get lots of emails. And that's okay. Keep them coming. Um, but my interest is solely in the technology part of the EVs and and the solar and the energy. And the financial stuff, I think, is great. And I want you to succeed because I care about all of you and I'm not a monster. Um, just because I don't care about the stock doesn't mean I don't want it to do well and I don't want you to do well because I absolutely want you guys to do well. I want, if you invested in a company like Tesla or really any company, I want you to get as much out of that company as you possibly can. I am not rooting against Tesla by saying that I don't uh, care about their stock. 
Uh, I care about the financial health of their company. I care about the technology that they're pushing forward. Um, and I care about you guys, but I, my interests are, are not financial in terms of what my brain gets excited about. It's, it's not, <laughs> it's just not, uh, the financial side of things. Like I have investments, I have a pension that I pay into, and I want to do well on those things. However, uh, for me, that's not a fun thing that I have to pay attention to. That's kind of like a chore. And I do this podcast for fun, not for a chore. But anyway, I want to reiterate that I care about each and every one of you. I want each and every one of you to succeed. And I absolutely do not want Tesla to fail. And I want, I mean, it would be great if it hit $2,000 again, the stock price, and you guys just made a ton of money. Um, I'm not interested in doing that for myself. But if you are doing it, I want you to succeed. I want you to get that money. And I, and I want you to get rich. I want you to become financially solvent so you can do things that you want to do instead of things that you have to do. Um, because honestly, I'm very lucky in that I have a job that I love, but I know there are a lot of people out there who are not in jobs that they love. So I'm rambling. So let's move on. We're going to get a Tesla energy update by RJ Johnson. Thank you, Zach. First, I'd like to also thank and congratulate the team on a job well done. Q3 was a strong quarter for the energy business and we're poised for continued strong growth in energy storage and solar. Megapack is going to be a large growth segment for the business, and deployments will continue to expand rapidly as the product reaches full capacity. We have more demand than supply through 2021, and we continue to ramp the product to match unprecedented demand across the globe through 2023 and beyond. Our order book is rapidly filling up through 2023 in the multiple gigawatt-hour scale. Large-scale solar plus storage is now more cost-effective than traditional fossil fuel generation in many locations across the globe. This trend will continue as we remove costs, which will further displace existing and new fossil fuel generation. This is true for standalone storage as well. Many customers are utilizing AutoBidder to maximize returns as we optimize our hardware and software with advanced real-time bidding strategies that continue to outperform the market where deployed. For Powerwall, we see continued strong demand for residential storage as customers seek increased reliability and backup home generation. We have a very large backlog of Powerwall orders, and we continue to invest to increase capacity to fulfill customer orders. We're just now capturing the full power of customer-sided solar plus storage as customers in some jurisdictions are providing services back to the grid when they don't need to consume energy or have backup power. This has massive potential to reduce system costs and make the grid more efficient globally. In the United States, we lowered our residential solar retrofit price to $1.49 a watt after tax incentives, which is the lowest in the industry. We're able to do this by leveraging our online vehicle ordering infrastructure, which substantially reduces soft costs associated with sales and marketing. As a result, our fixed costs remain relatively flat as our volume and efficiency increase leading to increased profitability in the retrofit business. We're using the same methodology across the, ener the entire energy business, including service, to capitalize on the technology backbone of the company. Solar Roof is especially exciting as we've gained significant experience over the last year in the installation process, which is a key enabler to scale the business. We've recently demonstrated our ability to complete Solar Roof in installation in just one day. 
you know, please know this still requires one to two days to remove the existing roof and prepare it for the solar roof installation. Clearly, there will be a range of installation times based on size, complexity, weather, and other factors. Overall, our reduced installation time provides a better customer experience and will enable the business to grow exponentially as scale effects allow for increased efficiency. In closing, we believe the energy segment is poised for a strong growth as we continue to focus on increasing scale while reducing cost to maximize profitability. I want to thank the team again for their hard work and I look forward to another strong quarter ahead of us. You know, Tesla Energy is something that I am super excited about. If I had to rank like where I was excited in the Tesla, you know, products or processes that they have, it would go manufacturing, Tesla Energy, and then the cars, which would include like full self-driving and all this stuff they're doing with the battery technology. But for whatever reason, the manufacturing stuff blows me away. It's amazing. They can do what they could do. Anybody can manufacture anything, to be honest with you. It just like, it's magic to me. So that's pretty amazing. But the things that Tesla is doing and putting into place for Tesla energy, we're going to start, we're kind of starting to see them now, but we're really going to start seeing them in the next two to three years. And like Elon has said in the past, Tesla energy is going to, you know, grow not only grow faster, but eventually get bigger than the EV side of the, the company. And that all has to do with manufacturing, honestly. So, and hopefully they're taking things that they've learned on one side and, and applying it to the other, which it sounds like they have with the ordering system and things like that. One of the things I wanted to highlight was that the solar roof can be installed in a day. Now, if you know roofers, which I do, um, you would know that that's a pretty amazing feat. However, uh, there's still the tear off and then the repair and then the install of the, the tiles. And that doesn't happen in a day. That happens in a couple of days, three to four usually. So, but still pretty good when you consider this is a whole new system and, you know, people really haven't been trained on it that long. So I can only imagine that this is going to get better over time. Now we're going to jump into the say.com portion of the question and answer session. So let's hear the question. And I guess we'll hear the answer too. What are the remaining constraints to be solved for solar roof installations to ramp significantly? Carl? Yeah, this is Carl Peterson. I'm on the solar roof engineering and, and installation. The biggest constraint right now on solar roof ramp is getting enough installers on board and trained and, and experienced. We've made a lot of progress on this in, in Q3 and we're continuing to hire. The next opportunity is improving the material flow on the job site. We've talked about this a lot uh, in the factory as well, that um, setting up the right packaging, kitting, so that every, every installer on the roof has the parts they need at their fingertips. Also, we've had great response from third-party roofing contractors as they're ramping up installations for solar roof on their customer homes, which is a big source of future growth. Thank you, Carl. Yeah. I mean, here's a way to think about a product, in my opinion. You have to say, I think, what do you want the world to look like? When you look around the neighborhood, the future, decade from now, you know, what do you want? What, what products are going to make your life better? What, what future do you want? And I think a future where we've got beautiful roofs, 
with generating energy uh, that are tough and tougher and resilient and better in every way than a regular roof and a lab with energy, that's the future we want. Uh, the solar roof is a killer product. This will become obvious next year. So I want to start at the beginning with the constraints. What are the solar roof constraints? Getting the materials packaged and made available so that the installers can actually install them and putting in places where they don't need to go up and down the ladder a million times. They can just get to them. That is huge. I I know a roofer who I'm pretty good friends with, and uh, that guy is one of the hardest working people I know, and he does a lot of roofs by himself, and he constantly has to go down the, the ladder, bring up materials, stage the materials, do some work, and then when he runs out of that, uh, those materials, he goes back down the ladder and does the same thing over and over and over again. And it is very, very time-consuming for him. So having this, all of this, the materials available in a way that that makes sense. Like on the west side of the roof, we're going to put these materials over there because we've already done like a LiDAR map of the roof and we know where every single one of these tiles needs to go. So in order to improve efficiencies, Tesla can package them accordingly. My wife and I watched this show on Netflix called Grand Designs. Highly recommend it. It's great. Um, and it, it just kind of showcases people in England who are building their dream home effectively. And what a lot of these folks do is they get these pre-built modular uh, panels. And this is effectively the same thing with the roof. Like they put the roof into the computer. They probably scan it with LiDAR. Um, they build like a 3D map with a drone. And then they're able to put it into their computer. And they can pretty much tell you where every single one of those tiles needs to go. This would be my guess to make the efficiencies work. And I wonder what's happening next year with solar roof. That's exciting. Um, just by Elon saying that, if I, though, if I was somebody who was going to buy a solar roof, I would be like, you know what? Maybe I'll wait till next year. Maybe that's something that maybe I don't want to spend the $45,000 to do it this year simply because maybe next year it'll be better. But anyway, um, Tesla in this particular earnings call has been kind of uh, close to the vest with their information. This was not the first question that was asked. I'm going to run down the first three questions. They asked if the 4680 battery would be used at Giga Berlin, and if so, which vehicles? They gave a non-answer answer. It was very short, succinct, and they're like, yeah, we're going to use it in a lot of our products. And then they asked about peak charging times with the tabless uh, 4680 batteries and is that going to be better for peak charging and it turns out not really and then there's this question which might be the best question of the entire earnings call and maybe the best question out of any earnings call to this point and here it is would you be able to transfer full self-driving to a new vehicle. So if you buy a Model 3, you bought full self-driving, and let's say you paid the $7,000 for it, whatever, and then you decided, you know what, and then five years later or so, you decided, you know, I'm going to buy the new Model S, you know, I got a little more cash in my pocket, I can afford a little bit more, so I'm going to buy that nice new Model S. Can I take the full self-driving that I bought on my Model 3 
and then transfer that to the Model S, whether that be a straight across transfer for free or maybe I pay a little fee to be able to transfer that full self-driving over. I think this is genius simply because, A, many people have paid for that extra uh, feature that Elon promised with hardware too, which is the full self-driving, that really hasn't come to fruition. And a lot of folks have already bought another vehicle, uh, another Tesla in many cases, and paid for full self-driving yet again. It seems like that is something that when you buy it, because it is separate from the purchase of the car, when you buy that, that is something that should be attached to your Tesla account and not to the car. So it makes sense that maybe you pay Tesla $1,000 or $1,500 or whatever. So as you can imagine, that Tesla wants to sell you full self-driving as many times as it can because that's how it makes money. Uh, Elon just said, we'll give it some thought and then left it at that. To this point, the earnings call has been very structured. And that is not something typical of a Tesla earnings call. It's typically, you know, it's formatted, but it's not very, I wouldn't say that it's really structured. And Elon hasn't been answering a lot of the questions specifically himself. So I don't know if that's because they're trying to give new voices a a chance to, you know, it's kind of a way that you work hard. You get to be on the earnings call. Um, And also these are the people who are experts in their fields. So maybe they should be the ones to answer them instead of Elon or, if it's just that for whatever reason, they just was like, you know what, Elon, you need to say less during the earnings call. I don't know. One thing I do know, though, is that it's time for another question. And this is actually a pretty good question as well. You recently referred to Tesla as a conglomerate of startups. Other than manufacturing electric cars, what do you suppose will be the most valuable business units within Tesla over the next five to seven years? Could you envision any of them ever spinning out from Tesla? Well, yeah, I was thinking about this today. <clears throat> I mean, Tesla is probably, there's probably in excess of a dozen startups effectively in, in Tesla. Now, every major product line is a startup. Every every new big new plant is a startup. And sometimes, frankly, we, we have to learn a lesson a few times before it sinks in. But, and, you know, even things like service and sales, our startups, other car companies, OEMs, they don't own their sales and service. So we have to create our service network. We have to create our sales and delivery network. Um, we have to do this in, I don't know, 40 countries, um, multiple languages. Something that people don't, don't really even know much about is our internal applications team that, that writes the core uh, technology that runs the company. We, we are not dependent on enterprise software. Like for those who understand what this means, this is a very big deal. And my hat is off to the, to the great work of the internal applications team. They, they, write, they write the nervous system, the, the operating system of the company, the Tesla operating system, extremely fundamental. Obviously, insurance is, is, is substantial. So insurance could very well be on a 30 40% of, of the, the, the value of the car business, frankly. Um, and as we've talked about before, with a much better feedback loop, um, instead of it being statistical, it can be specific. Now, obviously, somebody does not have to choose our insurance. I think a lot of people will. It's just it, it's going to cost less and be better. So why wouldn't you? Uh, and the whole autonomy thing is a startup. The computer chip was designing our own computer chips was a startup. Obviously, cells are, are a startup. 
designing and making our own power electronics for the drive units, designing, manufacturing our own uh, motors, uh, chargers, the supercharger network is a startup. The thing I think that people just don't really understand about Tesla is that it, it's it's a whole chain of startups. And they're like, well, you didn't do that before. Yeah, but we're doing it now. And I, I mean, I think so far we have not, we've maybe been a bit slow with some of the startups, but I don't think we've had any any of them fail. So, so far so good. No plans to spin anything out. That just sounds com- like added complexity. So this is kind of the thing that we were talking about last week with Jessica in terms of the vertical integration, like from the software that runs Tesla's business to, you know, the, the motors, to the batteries, to you name it. Tesla's owning, you know, not all of the stack, but a large percentage of the stack from the hardware three, that kind of thing. Obviously, Tesla's on the right track, but with all of these uh, businesses within the business, they're still pretty much in their infancy. You know, even the the car part of the business is, you know, it's it's only what twelve years old, something like that. So, still very much in its infancy. So, there's a lot of room for growth and improvement in Tesla's, you know, system. If you're an OG listener and you've been listening since the days of Elon Musk and Tesla going bankrupt, then you know that I've talked about this many, many times. There are so many technologies within Tesla. Tesla, the company, wouldn't likely go away if they were to completely fail. You know, and at that time, I posited that if something happened and and Tesla couldn't keep going. A company like Apple or maybe Google or Volkswagen would come in and keep them running as a separate brand. And I don't know how plausible it is, honestly, that Apple would come in and do that, but I'm just throwing out companies that could afford a multi-billion dollar company. <laughs> it's, it's not so much that, uh, that Apple would be interested in that. But anyway, um, yeah, now we're going to get right to the institutional investors. So let's hear those questions. As a bridge to the route hailing network, could you leverage the insurance product to give customers the ability to rent out their vehicles via via the app, thereby enabling the car to make money for them? So basically proprietary version of Turo. We, I think we're going to focus on enabling the robo-taxi system. So... You can just basically like that's a, that's a sub that's just really quite a small subset of the overall robo taxi or, or robo car thing where you can have the car be autonomous for you. Uh, you can have the car be you know shared with friends and family. Uh, you can add or remove it from the network. You can have it be entirely in the network. I mean, if you're an Uber or Lyft driver, uh, you you could be managing you know a fleet of ten cars. Um, this sort of seems like a you know. Shepherd tending the flock type of thing. It's like you just get more, way more leverage. Um, so, you know, I think that that's that's sort of a, we we could do that, and it wouldn't be very difficult. Um, but we we're going to just be focused on just having an autonomous network. You know, that has sort of elements of Uber, Lyft, and Airbnb. I think Elon has said this in the past that the. If you are on or you put your car on the ride hailing network, then 
Tesla would at some level cover your vehicle if it got in an accident because technically it's kind of working for them. I can't remember exactly when he said that, but I'm almost a hundred percent positive that he did say that in terms of the robo taxi or the ride hailing service. My question is, yeah, that's great. All the things that you said was great, but when is that coming? Cause I know people that want this. I know people that want to manage a fleet. They want to be a shepherd of Tesla's. They want to sit in the field with their little crook, hang out. Their crook has a, a charging port at the end and just hang out and manage their cars while they make money for them. And I think that's awesome. I want them to do that. But when? When, Elon? Let's listen to the next question. Residential energy use accounts for roughly the same magnitude of carbon emissions as road transport. Today's boilers and aircon units are profoundly unsexy. Uh, could you elaborate on hints that HVAC advances with the Y could also find use in a domestic system? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead, Drew. I was just going to say, I mean, I think one of the things we focused on with the Model Y and now Model 3 heat pump system was learning how to build a tightly integrated system capable of moving heat to and from anywhere, really, powertrain, battery, cabin, the environment, in outside ambient temperatures all the way down to, like, negative 20 uh, C, so 30 C. Um, and that's definitely applicable to uh, to the home's needs of heating and cooling the, the, the home and, and the water in your house. So certainly applicable. Uh, Elon? Yeah, absolutely. Um I think like the, the heat for the heat pump in the car, being able to use the battery as both a thermal and an electric uh, energy reservoir is very significant. Um, same thing could be applied to a home uh, with the um, water heater. Uh, so and, and the battery pack itself, of course. Um, so like I think there's potential for an integrated home system that kind of is power generation, storage, uh, heating, cooling, air filtration. Uh, you know, water purification in in a really tight package. Um, we, we don't actually have like a prototype or anything, but I think conceptually that is something that would be probably good to have. As a person who basically lives in the suburbs of hell and it gets to 120 degrees in the summertime and, you know, we had record days of over a hundred degrees. Like today, I don't think it was a hundred degrees, but it was still really hot and it's October. It's almost November. I really would like to have, I don't know, a, an efficient, uh, HVAC system that would keep my house cool. And I'm 100% on board of this with this. And on top of that, I have two, AC units in my house because that's how they roll here in Arizona. Um, at some point I'm going to have to replace those systems and it's going to cost. We had to replace the system in our old house and it wasn't cheap. It was like close to 10 grand. Um, we probably could have got it cheaper, but really we went with a company that was going to give us good service. So we paid a little extra to make sure that we got the good service and they did. They provided that good service. But as a person that is looking to possibly have to replace those systems in the next, uh, say, five to ten years, 
uh, Tesla, get on this as soon as humanly possible because I, I would rather buy a product from you uh, that was efficient and, you know, actually cooled my house, which my current air conditioner does a just okay job of doing. Next question. If meeting your long-term volume targets requires price reductions that uh, preclude you from achieving your uh, low double-digit stated margin targets for the autos business, will you still reduce prices accordingly? Um, well, if we, we, we want to make our cars more affordable, and it's always important to separate out affordability from value for money. Um, you know, if, if the cars, car is too expensive or any given product is too expensive then, and people don't have enough money in their bank account, they simply can't buy it no matter what the value proposition is. So it is important to lower the prices in order to such that people can literally just have enough money to buy it. I, I do not think we lack for desire for our products, but we do lack for affordability. And so we have to improve the affordability of our products um, so they are not out of reach of, of people. We want to bring them more in reach over time, um, but, but also improve our uh, cost of production. Um, obviously, you know, we get hopefully a little bit better every year, sometimes a lot better. And um, I mean, in terms of margins, I, all of these margins are going to look pretty comically small when you factor in um, autonomy. Yeah, um, two things I'll add to that. Um, uh, uh, without a doubt, I mean, we're moving forward to push as much volume as we reasonably can. Uh, you know, so Elon talked to earlier kind of how the S-curve and the timeline of incremental factories looks like, and so we're moving full speed ahead with as much volume as we can re- reasonably move forward with. But the, the second comment I'd make is if you just look at the journey of the company uh, over the last year and a half, we have grown volumes and grown gross margins uh, despite a, a number of price reductions over that period of time, and we've kept OPEX uh, fairly stable during that period of time as well. And so the key uh, is, is what Elon mentions here. I mean, we, we have to improve the affordability of the vehicle. We, we have to also continue to make progress improving the cost structure of um, not only COGS but of OPEX, which we've demonstrated over the last year and a half, uh, I think, quite successfully and uh, improve the value of the vehicles at the same time. So in addition to reducing the cost of the car, we're making the cars better. And and that's the formula to sell the volume. That's what we're focused on. And I triple stamp that double stamp. I 100% agree. Next question. Manufacturing is hard. Delays happen. What contingencies do you have in place to ensure that bottlenecks that you might encounter while renting internal cell production will not preclude you from uh, the from your ability to hit your Model Y production volume targets in Berlin and Texas? Yeah, so I think it's <clears throat> we've, we've tried to de-risk tw- uh, 2021 so that there's, um, you know, almost no dependency on our internal cell production. Uh, it's, it's very, very small. Uh, the internal cell production will help us ramp in 22, but we're not dependent on it for 21. And to de-risk the manufacturing system itself, that was one of the reasons why we located our pilot production facility here in Fremont, so we can rapidly iterate on manufacturing scale-up challenges, provide rapid feedback to the design of both the product and the equipment. Yeah, and our pilot line is pretty big as pilot lines go. 
it's a uh, it will be in the top ten cell factories on Earth, I believe. Yeah, that's true. A, a subscale one. Yeah. So. I think as you know, a person that listens to this show and other Tesla shows or even follows EVs, we've kind of seen what Tesla has been doing and we've talked about it on the show over and over and over again, what they're doing for those contingencies. So I don't know that there's a whole lot to say here other than that the size of their pilot battery line at Fremont is in, would be possibly in the top 10 of battery uh, producing factories in the world, which is, it's pretty good. Pretty good. All right. That's enough of the institutional investors. Now we're going to hear from the analysts. Our first question will come from Rod Lachey with Wolf Research. Please go ahead. Just wanted to ask about uh, the targets from your, your battery day. Um, looked like you, you could be approaching something like 20 million vehicles by 2030 if you, you hit those goals. Um, could you maybe share with us a little bit more of a, a midterm target? Like where would you be um, by 2025? And, and maybe uh, give us a little bit more insight into the investment required to get there just to put that extra two to two and a half billion dollars per year in, in, into context. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the, the tricky thing with trying to predict things midway through an exponential is that, you, you know, if, if things are doubling every year or even just growing 50 percent, then if you shift one, you know, plus minus one year, it has a huge effect on the, the number um, so then it sounds like, wow, you either massively exceeded or massively uh, undershot. But it's actually what's going on is an, uh, a, a giant S-curve. So a whole bunch of pretty big S-curves that integrate into a gigantic S-curve. Um, so that's why it's, it's difficult to predict the middle. And I'm not saying for sure we would hit 20 million vehicles. But it does seem like a good goal to have because that would mean that we're replacing 1% of the global fleet per year. Um, and it's, so, it's difficult to say that we're, you know, are we really changing the world if we're not um, switching out 1% of the global uh, fossil fuel vehicles? I mean, it's, it's, I'm not sure that we can make that argument unless we, unless we change at least 1% of the vehicles per year. So that, that, that's where the, two, the 20 million vehicles per year comes from. It's like 1% of 2 billion vehicles, which is the, the global fleet currently. The global fleet is growing. Uh, so probably be a bit bigger in the future. You know, it's, it's hard to say. It's like, I don't know, map an S-curve to a $20 million, a 20 million vehicle target in 2030 and move the slider around and, and see what that number looks like. Mm-hmm. That, that, that will give you about as much insight as we have. So I left this question in here because I think that Elon illustrates a really good point. These companies predict out, they're like, you know, this is where we think we can be by the, such and such a date. And if they miss that for a variety of reasons, and like Elon said, one percentage one way or another can greatly skew what is perceived to be their goal. And so he doesn't really want to talk about it. And he, he, I think he did a great job of navigating this question, honestly, because I don't know that there, there is an answer. Cause if Volkswagen comes out and they build an amazing EV, and that takes some of Tesla's, uh, you know, fire away. And maybe they're only changing half a percent of the global feet every year. 
well, maybe Volkswagen's changing one and a half percent. So there's the, the numbers are in fact better by double, but because Tesla's not doing it, somehow Tesla has failed. And, you know, Tesla and Elon have been pretty clear about, you know, the goal is to transfer or transform the fleet from ICE vehicles to renewable vehicles. So in my mind, that would be a success. But in the financial markets, that actually might be a failure. Let's listen to this gentleman's follow-up question. You know, if solid-state lithium metal were to become viable, could you just maybe just pass along your perspective on that? And would you be able to repurpose most of what you're putting into place for changes in technology? Yeah, I mean, answering the first part, um, the the cell production system is fairly agnostic on anode, cathode, electrolyte, separate that kind of thing. It's we we could change, and we will change and upgrade the uh, all, all aspects of the cell. Um, so, um, and we could, for example, make iron phosphate or uh, nickel manganese or something like that. Um, it, it's it's quite adaptable. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's just it's not too much to worry about the, the the lithium like a pure lithium anode is um, I mean not it's not as as it, it's it's not as great as it may sound um, but volumetrically you're you're not gaining all that much because uh, yeah, if you've got nothing on the so say on the anode side and you've got and you just play out lithium it's got to it's got to go somewhere so you got to have room for it. Um, yeah, yeah. Lithium so, is less volumetrically dense in the pure metal form than it is in tercolated into silicon. So it's kind of hard to understand, but that that's that's the truth. And and then as we showed in our presentation, the the total anode cost that we're talking about is only a, a dollar or two per kilowatt hour. So the value of like removing the anode material isn't super high either. So yeah, I totally agree, Elon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, but if it should turn out that a pure lithium anode is the right move, that would simply, that would be no problem. So we talk a lot about battery tech on this podcast, not nearly as much as we did in the early days, but one of the things that comes up again and again and again is solid state batteries for EVs. And the problem is that it's very difficult to build them at scale. Um, I thought that Elon and the team did a great job here of kind of explaining why it isn't a good idea now. But if it became a good idea in the future, it wouldn't be a problem for them to implement, which I think is actually pretty cool. Let's get to our next question. Our next question will come from Colin Rush with Oppenheimer. Please go ahead. Um, thanks so much, guys. Uh, yeah, you're, you're talking about insourcing um, a number of processes. Can you talk a little bit about which um, processes you're, you're moving in-house in the equipment that you're planning to make yourself uh, versus uh, some of the equipment that you'd be buying from other folks? Sorry, are you talking about the for cell manufacturing or something? Or well, we're, we're cell making... manufacturing for sure, as well as on, uh, on the molds uh, that you've talked about. But you know, in terms of the CapEx budget that you mentioned earlier, talking about, uh, you know, the, the number of processes coming in house, um, and which equipment pieces you're planning to make yourself versus uh, buying. Okay, well, I mean, Tesla is, is absurdly vertically integrated compared to other auto companies or uh, basically almost any company. Uh, the we have a massive amount of internal 
manufacturing technology that we that we build ourselves. We we literally make the machine. We, in fact, we we design. So like, okay, what is the thing we want to make? Design the machine that will make that thing. Then we make the machine. This is what this 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 makes it quite difficult to copy Tesla, which we're not actually that opposed to people copying us, but it's quite difficult because you can't do catalog engineering. You can't just, I'll pick up the supplier catalog, I'll get one of this machine, one of that machine, bingo, I'm now I'm Tesla. Um, you have to, there is no catalog. What ca- you know, so we, we made the machine that made the machine that made the machine. <laughs> it gets, no, no, we don't, we don't want to get carried away here. But, um, and quite frankly, we would like to outsource less. Um, that would be great. Because um, then, if we could outsource, if we could take something that we're doing and outsource it, then we could take those people and, and they can, we could have them do something else. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's like we we just make a crazy amount of machinery internally. Um, this is Tesla's are not well well understood. Um, if, if you just walk around the factory, you can just get a sense for it. Um, and. Um, yeah, I, I don't mean I don't know if this is like a smart move, but I I just know like hey, if we're trying to make progress and nobody's got the machine that we we need, we we, we got to make it. So so we do. Again, hammering home vertical integration and how important manufacturing is to Tesla. Let's move on to the next question. Our next question will come from Pierre Farragut with New Street Research. Please go ahead. Um, hey, thanks for taking my question. A very simple one. You haven't talked that much about like the Cybertruck today, uh, and I was wondering uh, how like the ramp of that product is uh, uh, looking like when we when we should see um, uh, the product hitting the road, and how fast you expect to ramp volumes. Sure. Um, I, I was in the studio actually on uh, last Friday uh, with Franz and the team, just going over the just. Uh, Sort of, sort of, sort of, some improved improvements to the Cybertruck. You know, generally with you know, at Tesla, we we really aim to make the car that is delivered better than the car that is uh, unveiled. Because um, always drove me crazy. You know, car companies would unveil these awesome looking cars, and you're like, great, can't wait till I make that. And then they, the car they actually make is, is like much worse, and and that is just it's like really disappointing. So. Man, we were always want to make the car that we deliver be better than the car we unveil, and that's the goal with the Cybertruck. So um, there's like a lot of lot of small improvements compared to what was unveiled. Um, it's you know I think it's going to be better than what we showed, uh, and um, yeah, it's it's, it's cool. It, like it, it's going to be made in um, in Austin, so it's can you know depending on completing that factory. And there are obviously new technologies with the you know, high, high hardness uh, kind of armored exoskeleton. This is I've never been done before, so there'll be there'll probably be some challenges along the way. Um, and obviously, something something that's extremely high hardness and difficult to scratch or dent um, is, is also difficult to form. Uh, so it's it, there's some manufacturing challenges there. That's why it's so planar. Um, although it also looks good, I think, from a cleaner standpoint. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if all goes well, we will be able to do some Cybertruck deliveries uh, towards the end of next uh, towards the end of next year. Yeah, so but it's difficult to predict. Um, I would say there's probably a lot of deliveries in 22, and some deliveries 
towards the end of next year if things go well. Honestly, not the most exciting uh, Cybertruck update, but there's your Cybertruck update. Wait, before we go to the next question, did it seem like to anybody else that Elon wanted to say more? He just wasn't saying more. It just sounded like he he was just about ready. And an Elon Musk four or five years ago, or maybe even two years ago, would have inundated us with this information. Um, This is a very subdued, controlled earnings call, which doesn't make it boring because there's some good information that we're learning here. But it doesn't make as it exciting as when we either get uh, crazy Elon, grumpy Elon, excited Elon. We're just getting subdued Elon. And that's okay. We're getting some information, but uh, kind of feels like virtually pulling teeth a little bit, if I'm being honest. Next question. Our next question will come from Gene Munster with Loop Ventures. Please go ahead. Good evening. Uh, question on the semi, Elon, if you could just walk us through the development of mega chargers, platooning, and maybe just how you think about autonomy for Tesla semi and what it's, how you envision it impacting the broader trucking industry beyond just EV. Uh, well, actually, Jerome, do you want to ask that? Yeah, we continue the development of the semi and uh, uh, in particular mega chargers. We, we realized that the 350 uh, kilowatt or, or or so that uh, we might be looking for cars is not going to be enough for semi. So we're looking for something much more uh, powerful than that uh, that can achieve um, essentially charging as fast uh, the semi as um, as you during a break uh, during your driving time, so that you can drive until the next break. Yeah. Um, so there is no usable or um, efficient time wasted for charging uh, the semi. That's that's the goal. Um, uh, we're working with uh, uh, other parties to make sure that there is a standard infrastructure that will be able to. Uh, uh, be deployed uh, for all customers. Um, yeah, that's probably all I can say at this point. Yeah. yeah so we're not working on. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Just we're not working in isolation. Yeah, we're trying to. We have to invent it because it doesn't exist. You know, but we're we're trying to invent something uh, that could be uh, helpful for everybody. Yeah, just, just a, a note on the, the sort of semi. The, the, the semi does consume a lot of cells, so it's uh, you know, quote, you know, four to six times more than a passenger vehicle. Maybe quote five, you know, five-ish times. So, um, if we are cell constrained, it is it, it kind of it's difficult to ramp up the semi because there's no there's no cells. Um, so we need to solve the cell constraint before ramping semi to significant volume. That's the only real constraint on semi-progress. Um, and, uh, you know, just we, we found over and over again, we, were just, we just kept running into cell, cell production limitations. Um, and then we're just taking things out of one pocket and putting them in another. Uh, so, you know, it, 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 we, we just need more cells so that we can do more stationary storage, more vehicles, uh, more vehicle lines, my truck. Yeah, we need more help. And there's our mandatory Tesla semi update. One of the things that I was thinking as he was talking about uh, setting up the chargers so that they can be used during the driver's downtime. Um, 
when you go, when you travel and you stop in at a truck stop, usually to go to the bathroom, get something to drink, maybe get something to eat, and then you're back on the road, the trucks all line up, right? So they're all lined up in a line. Where are you going to put the the charging bays for those Teslas? Because honestly, there's not a lot of room between the trucks. Like those fellas and ladies, they park really close to one another. And the fact that they can, you know, back in in such a tiny space, in most cases without having a backer, is extraordinarily impressive. However, if you have a bunch of these Tesla semis and then you build specific, let's say at a pilot or whatever it loves, and you build specific bays for Tesla, uh, what happens if a semi runs into one of these things and takes it out of commission for weeks? Or what happens if an ice truck decides that they're just going to park in it because, you know, whatever, there's an open space and they're running in to get a drink or they just want to be a jerk. Uh, these are all things that Tesla's going to have to solve for, <laughs> for sure. If you're a truck driver or anybody that's given this subject any sort of thought, uh, hit me up, Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918Digital, and tell me what your solution to this would be. Because... Man, uh, behind any loves or, like I said, Flying J pilot truck stop, there there's tons of trucks, but not a lot of room outside of where they're parked. It'd be interesting to see how Tesla manages to to fix that. And before you email me and you're like, well, duh, they would just buy their own property. That's fine. And, and maybe they would do that. However, it doesn't take away from the fact that these semi trucks take up a ton of space. So you still have this space issue. Maybe you don't have the ice trucks there, but in general, you have the issue of all of the cyber trucks needing a place, needing a bay, uh, for, you know, let's say six hour rest period. And these guys and gals, they're not leaving for that six hours. So if the bays are full, the bays are full. What happens next? Let's get to the next question. Our next question will come from Ben Callow with Baird. Please go ahead. Hey, hey thanks for take, uh, taking my question. Hey, Elon, what do you think the biggest structural issue is with the, let's call it old school OEMs, um, or one or two of the structural issues uh, for them not getting their act together and catching up with you? Um, and then um, you, you mentioned what you we want the world to look like. Um, ahead of us, what do you envision that is like just Tesla or, or Tesla and Rivian or 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 what? Thanks. Well, I do think there will be other car companies. I don't think we're going to be the only one. Um, so, I, I mean, the thing is that like like what what uh, other car companies do, even in the auto segment, is quite a small subset of what Tesla is. So, you know, Tesla. We we design and build. We're very vertically integrated, so we're designing and building so much of the car, so much more of the car than other OEMs, um, who who will largely go to the traditional supply base and like I call it catalog engineering. You know, so um, it's not very adventurous, uh, and and it basically ends up like all the products end up looking the same because they're going to the same suppliers. Um, so, I mean, to the degree that you inherit legacy components, you inherit the legacy limitations and cost structure and 
So you, you kind of need to make new ingredients, new, new parts, and then you need, then there's no machine to make those parts, so you have to make the machine that makes the parts. So Tesla is like, we, we probably, I mean, we might be an order of magnitude more vertically integrated than other car companies. And if we're not now, we certainly will be. Um, and then we also, uh, we also have to create, like I said, our, our sales and service and distribution system in, I don't know, something on the report 40 countries. You know, somewhere it'll be over 100 countries, whereas the other uh, car companies do not own their sales and service and distribution. So, you know, they, 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 they kind of, you know, assemble parts from a supply base and then, and then hand them to a dealer base. So it, it's just like, it's not just, it, like, it, it's like comparing Tesla to a car company is like just comparing just really one facet or dimension of Tesla. We're like maybe 10% in common with other car companies. All right. Here are the themes for this earning call. Vertical integration, manufacturing, and then order of magnitude, which usually means about 10 times, but it doesn't always mean 10 times, whatever it is you're talking about. In our next clip, we're going to hear a little bit more about Tesla Energy. So let's listen to that. And our final question today will come from Philippe Houchois with Jeffries. Please go ahead. Um, yes, thank you for taking my questions. I've got two. Um, the first one for me is try to understand your business model for stationary storage. Have your thoughts on it? I mean, there are two broad directions for me. One is selling hardware, which is a bit of a cost plus business. And I'm just wondering if there's an opportunity where Tesla could actually share into the savings um, that utilities in particular could be able to achieve in like grid stabilization. Uh, the information I was able to get on your business in Australia a few years ago suggests that you know, given the savings that are achieved, um, your hardware could have been sold at a higher price. I'm just wondering if you have you know, some share views on where the business model is, is going. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. Uh, um I mean, RJ and Zach, what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, we're already seeing this in Australia where we're seeing behind-the-meter uh, aggregation that is providing grid services back to the grid, which effectively reduces the price to the customer and reduces the prices for the grid operator. So you're seeing this trend happening across the globe. And it's going to be at the residential level as well as the wholesale level. So, you know, Megapack on one end and then power uh, wall on the other side. Those two working together in tandem and the software layer on top of it, AutoBidder being that, that really is going to help make the grid more efficient using the hardware platform and software together. And just a point of clarification, like that, uh, the large power plant and large battery power plant in Australia, like we continue to operate that power plant and generate revenue in the market. So it, whether we could have sold it for more or, or, or less, like we're, we're continuing to make money off of that power plant. Right. Well, that's an interesting tidbit. I had no idea that Tesla was continuing to make money off of that, uh, that, uh, battery farm in Australia. I just figured that they sold them the equipment and that was it. Uh, so it's good to know that Tesla's out there making money off of these battery installations that they're putting up. Who knows if they're making it off of every single battery, but it is interesting. Again, I find the Tesla energy part of the company very fascinating. All right, folks, that is our show this week. Ooh, came in at an hour and 10 minutes. Pretty impressive. 
Thank you, everyone, for listening to this show. I really appreciate it. If you want to email me, please do. I'm happy to hear from you and chat with you. It's Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com. If you want to find me on Twitter, it's at 918digital. That's 918digital. And my DMs are open, so feel free to contact me that way. And that's it. That's the whole show. I hope everybody has a wonderful week, and I will talk to you next Friday.